Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast that analytics say is ready for the big time, but the coaching staff thinks we need to marinate just a little bit longer. Of course, it is time to do some stargazing, and boy, howdy, we have hot topics and a full house tonight. Joined by David, Mark, and Taylor. Hello, round robin. Uh, scale of one to ten, everybody, how's your evening going? Seven? Uh, yeah, I'd go nine. Four, because Dallas traffic sucks. (laughs) Sounds about right. Still, I think it's a pretty good average for the podcast. And uh, we're going to maybe check on those ratings at the end because we're going to keep things nice and breezy in the summer and talk about topics that are guaranteed to keep Dallas Stars fans nice and mellow, nice and cool. No sign of controversy here. Of course, I mean talking about a potential space in the NHL roster for Thomas Harley and the future of, of one John Klingberg, as well as a little Traverse City um, hot update. So again, we're going to keep things real relaxed, keep things really just kind of slide right through the podcast. And, and no better way to start, David, I know you've had a couple of thoughts scribbled down on the back of a post-it note about Thomas Harley. And again, nothing big. I know it's not a huge deal, but you wanted to at least bring it up to kick off the podcast. So, you know, go ahead and talk about what what are your thoughts on AHL mainstay Thomas Harley and his future with the Stars organization? Okay, like I, I'm going to try not to monologue here. And <laughs> it, so, so just like interrupt me whenever you guys want. Um, so like, let me preface this by saying like the main reason why I have a bone to pick with Dallas is not that like I don't trust Dallas to develop certain players we can relitigate the past later on but for now it's more of like the NHL understand what's best for development I mean this is a league in that that like until 10 years ago realized hey maybe we don't need boxers on skates to fill our fourth line and even then you saw a team like New York give up draft capital for Ryan Reeves to prevent Tom Wilson as if he's going to stop doing what he always does right and so um, like you look at trends in the check-in line and now I'm suddenly supposed to believe that hockey is like magically figure out how to pinpoint market inefficiencies in player types, suddenly solve development. No, like I, I don't buy it at all. And I think the main feature of development is expansion, escalate, turning consistency, consistency into focus habits, into invention, if you will. And I think in hockey, it's the opposite. I feel like the main feature is, oh, you're NHL ready. You got an NHL jersey. Okay, play within the system. Don't make mistakes. And that's the opposite of expansion. And when you look at Harley, this is a guy who is just fantastic, brilliant in transition. You want to maximize that stuff. And then you hear like quotes in Heike's article about if he wants to be ready, he's got to play his defense. He's got to be good. On de- <laughs> I, I can't help but roll my eyes at this stuff. And it's not like I know better. It's just like, can we please maximize this player's talents for just once? Just once. So, okay. So it's, it's more of a, if I'm hearing clearly, you're, you're having some system issues. Yeah, I mean, that'll get more into, like, the Klingberg stuff that we'll kind of talk about later where you see that, oh, development still goes on at the NHL level, and you kind of see how sort of systems can shift that. But, um, but yeah, I, I think some of it's kind of be like, well, Harley has to succeed within a system that's maybe not necessarily going to play to his strengths. And I think he'll still be great even within the system. I, it's just to me it's about being better, not just good. That makes sense. And, and you know, I, I think as well, coaching, this is a – 
not just a Dallas Stars issue. We'll, we'll start bringing in the, the rest of the panel here. Uh, we'll start with you, Taylor. Do you feel like this is a case of, of, of you know, NHL coaching orthodoxy, maybe having a little bit of trouble integrating players? I mean, to a degree, I, I think NHL coaches, their ultimate responsibility is to win games. And so they are going to act in their best interest, so to speak, and put the lineup on the ice that theoretically gives them the best chance of winning. And for some coaches, they're going to define that best lineup as the guys that they know they can put out there and will play their system and not and are coachable. And then for other coaches, I think it's we're going to get the best talent out there and we'll figure out the rest of the pieces later. One of those is riskier than the other. And I think it probably has a direct proportionality to is your team supposed to be in their contention window and how long is your leash on your own job? And then uh, I'm glad you brought up windows. I'm glad you brought up that, that perception of the here and now, um, you know, Mark, would, would you say that that's fair that, that NHL teams tend to f- fixate on how do I win tonight? Well, I think you have to. And, and then as far as development, I, mean, I think we've forgotten a little bit how young Harley actually is. I mean, I remember watching, you know, that, that first professional game, if you will, was was that playoff game in Colorado or against Colorado uh, before the bubble really started. And he he was in over his head at that point. Um, and then if you take a look and you go back and watch his first couple AHL games last year with Texas, he he had guys who were just turning the corner on him and it took him a few games to get used to the speed at the AHL level. And that sure, sure. By the end of the year, he was, he was handling that just fine and excelling, but he's a young kid and there's a learning curve out there. And as a head coach at the NHL, especially if you think that this is the last year that you have of, of your, you know, Ben Radulov, Pavelski, Sagan group, uh, do you want that learning curve to happen during your watch during this year? Yeah, and, and I think as well, I like that, you know, just kind of starting out, right, this this picks an old wound, which is it feels like, and this is me speaking from a point of emotion, not necessarily with comprehensive data in front of me, but this feels like the conversations we were having last season while Dennis Gurionov was struggling about how NHL coaches tend to find ways to use guys that are maybe further along in their career with with limited but well-defined roles, right? Those guys tend to get the chances in the ice time, provided those those roles are safer, right? The face-off specialists, guys that are perceived to be hard to play against, you know, good on the wall, good on the PK, good on the forecheck, things like that, versus, you know, when you have a specialist scorer, you know, we've talked about this in the context of Dennis Gurionov. I think we've seen similar things at times over the course of, you know, kind of going outside of the stars. You know, I think we've seen some guys in the past get labeled and you kind of struggle to find some playing time as, you know, one way in, in a certain direction, one way in an attacking direction while not being one way in another. And, and I think that, that that notion of safety and, and NHL coaches kind of tend towards the thing that won't get them beat is is a you know, very real, very real tendency, fair or otherwise. And, and, you know, kind of as we segue directly into talking about Harley himself, I did want to get just a, a brief temperature check. So before before we get into the details, just a quick thumbs up, thumbs down from the panel. Is 
on the balance of what you've seen, both on the ice, in the AHL, in raw skills, is Thomas Harley ready to contribute at the NHL level right now? And we'll start with uh, we'll start with you, David. I'll just say yes, and, and then I'll you know. Yeah, we'll get. We'll, I promise we'll we'll get into yeah. the why, but just as as a table setting exercise, we got a yes from David Taylor. How about you? Generally speaking, yes. In this <laughs> Dallas system, I'm not convinced. Interesting. Okay, and then Mark closing it out. Yes, and uh, but not full time. Okay, and see, I'm also I'm a no in this instance, and, and I'll be interested to see where I align. I think I'm I'm very similar, and we'll just go ahead and start because I'm driving the boat, and I think I might agree. Taylor, why do you say why do you say not in this system? I just am not convinced that this coaching staff and the system that they have in place that is kind of designed to be this defensive oriented system probably to play to the strengths of their slower veteran forwards um is allows the creativity necessary to really capitalize on the skill sets of thomas harley and in my mind I'd rather leave him in Texas with under Neil Graham, who, you know, has had some quotes that essentially have said, I don't mind mistakes as long as you're learning from them and you're getting better. And like, I just would rather him continue to to develop rather than getting stuffed on a third third pairing limited minute role here that sucks all of the creativity and puck possession skills that he has out of him. Yeah. And, and that's, that's very similar to, you know, kind of where I land, right? The NHL is a, a quick and brutal league in a lot of ways. And you kind of have, when you're a creative player, right. And it's one of the, we'll get in, we're going to talk about him a little bit later, right. When talking about John Klingberg, the things like, you know, when you talk about puck, puck carriers, puck handlers, playmakers, you always see kind of higher than normal amounts of mistakes because nobody's perfect. And the idea is that the best playmakers overwhelm the mistakes with the positive plays. Right. And the the brutal bit is learning that way on the job at the NHL level is just a a, a beast of a task. And I, I similar to you, right? My biggest concerns with Harley in the here and the now is he needs a leash, right? So he needs a lot of leash. He needs to be in a position where he can be creative. He can drive an offense. He can run a power play. He can do things that are sort of next level tasks. And frankly, he can make a ton of mistakes along the way. Um, and I just don't think he's going to be able to exert that kind of influence or have that kind of role on the Dallas Stars. And so, you know, I, that's why I kind of specifically train, restrain the question to, is he ready right now? You could argue that maybe Dallas should have made different decisions relative to the roster, right? But they didn't. And based on the way the whole system is set up right now, he is, in my opinion, best served playing, you know, as a, a, you know, the top guy, right. The, um, kind of the driving force of a blue line down in Cedar park versus, you know, fighting for minutes amongst Miro and, and Klingberg and, and, you know, Suter as well at, at the big time level. But, you know, I, I want to segue to the other. So, so, you know, having, having said all of that, of course, we do have dissenting opinions on the podcast and, and both David and Mark, you, you seem to disagree very strongly, which is fine. So let's go ahead and, and we'll start with you, Mark. Why do you think that, why do you think that we're wrong? 
Well, I think, I, first of all, we're coming into this year after a, what I consider to be a very strange last year, especially when it comes to the defense. I mean, the fact of the matter was that we had no movement on the decor. Taylor Fadoon only played in the AHL on a conditioning assignment. We were extremely healthy on the defense. And so we didn't have anybody coming up from the AHL who, who could get any experience. And on the one hand, that was kind of nice because Harley was able to work through quite a few things and become the best defender on that team by the end of the year. But I don't think that uh, Dallas is going to be so lucky this year. I mean, everything's going to revert to the mean. And we'll have some injury time there. And I think Harley is the type of player who is going to be the obvious number one call up for a certain type of Dallas defender. So, then so where would when, you just, when that happens, he gets yeah. I was just going to say, based on just following the thread, right? So then, where where would you put him on this current start? Like, what what would what would you envision his role being on this roster right now? I mean, if he's up with the current roster. You know, he's going to be third pair. He's going to be playing with Hawk and Pa. Um, and, and I don't think that uh, there's much else to do with that. Um, I think his ideal spot on this roster is playing the left side to John Klingberg uh, on the second pair. And I think throwing two types of puck movers, both of whom have slightly different games, uh, would be... Uh, a pretty awesome way to, uh, to to run this team. That's that's really fascinating to me. So then, you know, David, from your perspective, just kind of building on um, building on what Mark has walked us through. Why do you feel like um, Harley belongs at the NHL level right now? I think. Well, I mean, beyond the talents, which I, I guess we'll get to later. We, like, I, I mean, I, we don't have to go beyond the talent. That that's a that is a fair and and reasonable answer. All right. So I definitely agree with Taylor about kind of like, well, the system and like, you know, how it's going to potentially constrain him. And maybe we don't see the best Harley. But I do think like talent wise, like my reason why I think like, yeah, like he should be playing and he is ready is that chances are you're going to have Heiskanen and Sutter and Lindell Klingberg. So he's going to be well insulated if he's just there on the third pair with Hockenpah, who's like pretty fantastic so far. And I think the biggest thing is that. Uh, sort of like if you look at like Corey uh, Snyder's tracking data, uh, where like Dallas was just extremely below average at creating scoring chances through no. off the rush. I know, right? <laughs> like, what a revelation. The, I'll need so, to see those fancy stats. It doesn't match the eye test at all. <laughs> and so when, when you look at that and look at what Harley can provide, I think it's just going to be. Yeah, he's going to struggle. But I also think the fact that he can give them something they don't usually have below Heiskanen is basically going to just kind of make them like effective enough in spots that, well, maybe they're going to miss some of that defensive coverage. And, and so I, I think he's just going to provide that talent that they need. And I think as they likely struggle to score, which I don't think is going to be that, I, I think it's a somewhat overplayed healthy Sagan and Radulov will kind of mask a lot of that, but I still think like they're, they're going to struggle to maximize what they have. And when they do, they're going to be like, Oh, Oh, yeah, we, we do have a weapon in, in Texas. Why don't we bring him up? And it's like, well, it's probably what we should have done the whole time. But I mean, <laughs> so then I want to I want to nitpick something that you just said, you know, in talking about the role that you would envision Harley saying you mentioned that there's there's a lack of cover behind Miro. 
And that sort of conspicuous by his absence in that analysis is John Klingberg, who's kind of the other big topic of tonight's podcast. So are, and, and I may be, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth. So are you saying that one of the reasons that you envision Harley as having a spot and a role on this roster is that Klingberg isn't capable of providing, you know, kind of the, the level of, of offensive utility, I guess, that, that, you know, many fans kind of expect him to. Yes and no for reasons we'll get to later. But for now, what I would say is that, well, you want to have as many weapons on the blue line as possible. And mm. someone like Klingberg gives you offense in very different ways where it's very direct, especially when he's walking the line in the offensive zone. Whereas like Harley is going to give you that element of just taking the puck from the defensive zone all the way into the offensive zone within like a two second span. Right. And that, that is, that's kind of a different element. You know, Harley's I think faster than Klingberg, for example. And if he's playing say paired with like the hints line, I think that's going to give Dallas a different dimension and just varying that offense in different ways of attack is I think essential, especially for a team like Dallas that just sucks at scoring. <laughs> now, how do you think this uh, impacts the old Lindell classic, throw it off the wall as hard as I can outlet pass. Can we just not talk about Lindell? I mean, I know, I know we have a lot of fans here, probably Vessel Lindell, and I think he's good. And I, I always go back to just, uh, he's not worth his contract, but, um, I would like to think we see less of that. <laughs> Fair. I know. I just can't help. We're, we're having a conversation about whether Harley should be in on the team. We're going to talk about John Klingberg a little bit later. This this is the best time to drop a, an Essa Lindell comment from from there. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do another one to ten real quick. Okay. So so the, if I'm if I'm understanding correctly, both both you and Mark are saying some variation of uh, at least some some aspect of what you're saying is you do feel like even with the this roster and the commitments Dallas has made, you do feel like there would be minutes and there would be opportunity for. So I guess a, a plainer way to ask that question and Taylor, feel free to chime on this one as well. We, we just because we're the naysayers doesn't mean we can't have an opinion. But how do you get Thomas Harley on the power play? Was that directed at like me? I or mean, it's, it's, I kind of got the response I was looking for. No, directed. At me. So, given given the way this roster is constructed and, and kind of what we're talking about about you know chance creation, how do you get him on the power play? And then, or even more generally, like how do you make sure he's getting time with the uh, you know the scoring lines? Uh, well, I would real quick. I would just say that uh, I, I for one, Eslandell doesn't deserve to be on the second unit. So if they if they do like the two defensemen on the second unit. I would say like Heiskanen and Harley would be uh, totally fine. And Klingberg runs the first unit with a pretty stacked forward group now. Like the that was like one of the funny things about like Robertson and Hintz's production, which is that they got a huge boost in power play time because of an injured Sagan and Radulov. And now that's not going to be as much of an issue, ideally, <laughs> assuming they're healthy. So then you don't see and maybe I'm just misunderstanding. You don't see Ryan Suter as having a role on the power play. Because if, if, if I'm understanding correctly, you had Heiskanen and Harley occupying the second pairing, and then it seemed like you were saying Klingberg would run a four forward set as the other unit. Ideally. Now, like Sutter, I would like to think maybe because of his age, they shelter, not shelter him, but just he doesn't. I mean, his thing is going to be being on the PK and even strength. And I think that's plenty. I think they crazy? call that managing his minutes. <laughs> so, and then that's yeah, since you since you chimed in, Taylor. Do you think, given what they've given, 
in your opinion, given the role, you know, try try and put your your Jim Neil mustache of authority on for a second here. Is that the role that they envisioned for Suter when they signed him for what they paid? And and furthermore, is that the role that you think he, you know, in in signing with Dallas, is, do you think that's the role he expects? I think a lot of this is going to have to be figured out in camp because when you really think about it, the power plays look awfully crowded if you have a fully healthy Dallas Stars roster. And I think that there's two different ways they could go about this. They could either say, hey, we're going to try to spread the minutes around and give everybody an opportunity, especially here early in the season, um, and see what clicks, and then kind of go from there, and then also keep us fresher. Um, Or they could say, look, we know and have proven chemistry with you know, uh, Radulov, Ben, Sagan, Klingberg, Haskinen set. So that's going to be our set one. And then the second set is up to the rest of you to fight for minutes. I think if it were me, I would probably want to be keeping Ryan Suter fresh for even strength minutes, which he is good at eating. And keeping him more in that defensive type role. And then also by not giving him power play minutes, I think you might be able to manage his workload to a, to a degree to where he's going to be good the whole season. So that's what I would do. But I'm not Jim Mill. So. And I can't grow. Yeah, I can't even grow a mustache up. <laughs> you can't even I mean, pretend. There are all sorts of prosthetics as, as you know the point there so and then other just generally uh, you know mark uh, david i'd love to get your thoughts on this as well so again this is where you know this is where we we kind of go into trying to account for some of the organizational factors that obviously we don't have any direct exposure to so short of just kind of saying well i'd put him out there right how how on this roster do would you see that working would you see harley you know what would you see you know thinking things about like how many minutes do you see him envisioning is it is it always with mirror like where can he play day to day i mean i i would personally put him with klingberg and and i have some I think pretty decent reasons for doing that. A lot of it having to do with some of the things David's already brought up, which is that he's a puck mover, but he's a different kind of puck mover than Klingberg is. Um, getting back to the power play, I I would think Harley would just flat out slot in as as the runner of PP2. And Klingberg's going to be PP1, and he's going to get as many, many minutes as he can on that because that's really where his value comes in with this team right now. But, you know, if, if, if Harley can get, uh, you know, 35 seconds, 40 seconds as PP2 time, uh, he can run that unit and that can expand as he has success. And then beyond that, you know, if Harley's not around, I think uh, it kind of rotates on PP2, whether it's uh, whether it's Suter, whether it's Haskinen. I'd really like to see the team run single defender uh running the power play with four forwards. And I think we'll have good enough forwards to be able to do that this year. But I really don't see having Harley uh, not be the runner of PP2 being anything that's an option. Interesting. Can I ask what could potentially be a very controversial question? Let's do it. Is Mario Haskinen really the best option for running a power play? No. No, absolutely not. Interesting. Like real, that, that was a like quick answer. Give me, give me the why. Yeah, let's let's dig into that. You, there's a strong opinion. What's why? Why don't you think so? 
Um, I mean, take take a look at the micro stats. He's not a great passer of the puck. He he puts the puck where he wants to put the puck, but he's somewhat mechanical about doing that, which means that our power play stagnates when he's around. And on the other side, he, he eats so many minutes at five on five, and on the on the PK that you got to find him a little time off the ice as well. And if you have somebody else who can run power play too, do it. Do you think though that you know, given given that he's good at everything, um, is there even if he's perhaps mechanical right now, and maybe not the answer right now, are we getting back into developmental issue? Where do you think that he could be at some point, or is this just not in his tool bag? No, he he can do it. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be something that he's exceptional at. But you know, if 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 he's the second option uh, as a defender on on one of the power play units, he's very capable of doing that. He can he can get down the boards. He has a good shot. He has a lot of things that can be useful on the power play. But I don't think in the in the ideal world that uh, that he needs to be there. So the reason I kind of asked this question was because when I was really starting to sit down and think about who's going to quarterback the power play and what the power play units could potentially look like for Dallas, my thought was Miro Hiskinen's skating is so good and he is so good at getting defenders to kind of forget that he's there um, and then kind of jump up in the play and and be another weapon. And so I actually would be curious to see him play more of that bumper role, the kind of rover on a power play unit and not so much a quarterbacking role and see how that might play to his strengths a little bit more. That's fascinating. You know, what do you think? Yeah. (laughs) uh, Which I I was going to make some sarcastic comment about like, well, it's never been done in the NHL. Why would that be effective? Um, The, uh, (laughs) you know, that's, that that's like kind of I, I think part of so one thing I would say in defense of Dallas, I can't believe you guys are making me the corporate show all of a sudden, is that you know the power play has been really good over the last three seasons. Um so I don't really think there's anything like radically that needs to be changed per se. I agree about like I think it's a great question. Like Heiskanen, like yeah, maybe maybe he doesn't need to be on the power play and things like that. Although, you know, it's important to remember, like, right, the fourth most points of a defenseman in the playoffs ever was signed by Miro Heiskanen. So I do think he's capable of that. I think there are certain talents. Like, he, he doesn't have, like, a big one-timer or, like, I mean, his wrist shot is really good, but, like, there are certain things he's not that great at. Like, I agree. Like, something like a rover, which used to be an actual position in the NHL, <laughs> you know, is this kind of, like, positionless sort of spot is something that would be ideal, not have him be, like, run the point, per se, but... Um, but kind of like just doubling back to like Harley, I don't think it's so much about like, oh, we need to put Harley on the power play. It's just like, give him touches, give him like a sort of a game state where he can be comfortable with the puck, which is what he excels at. And hopefully that kind of ripples into his efficiency at even strength. That's interesting. So then we're all on the topic. I do want to pivot just a little bit because we, we mentioned talking about John Klingberg as well. And I think it's, it's, you know, difficult to talk offense and, and direction of the stars. So you know, is wh- where do you see on the topic, like thinking Harley and his future and, and growth in the order, all, all of those many, many factors is John Klingberg going to be a part of that journey at this stage. And, and we'll start with you on this one, Mark, cause I think I put you last, the last couple of times. Well, I think one of the reasons why, why this is on our list of topics is that Jack Han had a, had a little, uh, 
you know, kind of what happened to John Klingberg Twitter thread that was out there for a while today, and uh, and kind of why why is Dallas destroying the value that they have in Klingberg? And oh, if we can put Klingberg on a on a skilled team, all of a sudden he gets his value back. And I, I it's kind of hard to argue. The one thing I might say is that maybe uh, maybe having all of his all of his skilled forwards hurt last year might have hurt that, but that there was decline the year before as well. So uh, so is Dallas destroying John Klingberg? Um, yeah, a little bit. I think they are, and and maybe that part of uh, his being paired with Lindell, which is why I'd like to see him with Suter this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess Taylor, David, thoughts. You know, part of the uh, sort of part of the Jack Hahn piece was also kind of like the sort of timeline that was, I think, really interesting, which is that defensively, Klingberg actually had his best seasons under Hitchcock and Montgomery, just looking purely at wins above replacement. And like he was like in the 60th percentile, like under Montgomery. So like he was really, oh, my God, I'm using this word developing. And then he dropped to the bottom 10 percentile defensively under bonus. Again, that's just defensive and kind of struggled under under rough. And I think the point there is that like even veterans develop or don't develop aspects of their game. And it seems to happen by pure accident. Oh, suddenly we, we got the right coach and the right system comes along and voila, development. Like, so why leave something that important to randomness? And and like, you know, kind of really getting back to your question, which I say that because I'm just like, Harley needs to be in the right system too. But I mean, I think like Klingberg is going to have insane value in the right system. And maybe because he's not in the right system, maybe that value is what's going to explain why they just let him potentially walk. And that sucks. Yeah, he's always perplexed me as well. Like the the trade-off though is is and this is I think getting all the way back around to sort of the coaching orthodoxy conversation we had to start this podcast. Is the answer then okay, well, he doesn't fit the system, move on? Or is the answer if as a team you can't find a way to take advantage of skill of a skill set like John Klingberg's, you change the system a little bit, right? Is is part of the how much of this is on, you know, maybe his limitations versus how much is the of this is on a team just not being able to to find ways to to leverage him. If you are sitting here at the NHL level and you have 23 players on one side and one or one coaching staff, so maybe five guys on the other, I can tell you which one is easier and which one is cheaper to change. Yep. It's going to be the coaching staff. And additionally, if you cannot take one of the most elite all-around defensemen in the league and get the best out of him, then you shouldn't be coaching at the NHL level. Like, and that's just personal opinion. I just don't think that you, I don't think you crater your entire organization's future by letting somebody of John Klingberg's caliber walk, unless, I mean, unless, obviously, with some caveats, like, somebody offers him $12 million a season, okay, John Klingberg, we love you, but bye-bye. But, you know, like, I just, I don't think that if you can get the business side of things to line up that you make an organizational decision like that unless you really truly believe that John Klingberg is just washed up and done. Um, And in looking at that graph and that chart that we referenced, it's pretty apparent that his 
sudden and steep decline coincides with a particular coach and a particular system being put in place. And just to kind of add to that, you know, which is that uh, so Alex Nové had a really good piece on hockey graphs about like whether or not hockey is a strong link game like basketball or a weak link game like um, like uh, soccer. Right. The idea of like your players have to be your best players, that kind of stuff. And and kind of the data that they looked at was largely that, well, hockey is actually closer to a strong link game. And so I think coaches, especially like someone like Bonus, thinks that, well, the way to win is to leverage the best strategy as opposed to leveraging the best players. And to me, it's clear, like Klingberg is elite and he's been elite. And if you can't find a way to maximize his value, that's already apparent, then yeah, I know. I, I know exactly what side I'm on. I, and I agree to just to build on that further. Right. I've always kind of looked at it like, you know, you it's not getting getting super abstract. Right. The the way that you create a good hockey team is by building uh, you, you you build skills. Right. You acquire skills and the very best players have all of the skills. Right. And you don't really have to you know, put 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 Sidney Crosby on the ice. Right. As your centerman. And he can do anything. There, there's no essentially no limitations. Right. So, OK, he's clearly the best. And then as you get down the skilling tiers, you have guys that can do most of what he can do and then some of what he can do and then almost none of what he can. Right? And, and so as you build your roster, you, you've got your power play and your penalty kill and your offense zone, all, all of these things that are collecting. And so, you know, obviously the most valuable guys are the, are the guys that can do everything. But to me, the, the next tier down is are the guys that can do one thing incredibly well, right? Or, or a certain facet of the game incredibly well versus, you know, would you rather have a guy that's, that's just kind of average overall, or would you rather have a guy that's maybe average overall, but is average overall because he is excellent in one area and perhaps limited in another. Right. And, and I think that coaching staffs uh, and historically, and in my opinion, have done a poor job of taking assets that have one particular kind of towering strength in their game and finding ways that they would rather deal with a more limited player. The, the, it's a high floor thing, right? They'd rather deal with a high floor or with a with a high floor than a high ceiling. And I think Klingberg is a really good example of that, especially, you know, the point you're making, Taylor, about when that that chart starts to go down and to the right. And that it's it's an NHL coach would we we argued about this with Garyanov again bringing that back up last season, a coach would rather deal with a guy that's just average all the time versus the headache of having to find ways to use a guy that's brilliant some of the time. And I think that's the the position, and, and you take that for granted. And, and part of why I've, I'm so you know so very strongly on the keep John Klingberg train is if you remove him from this lineup. There is no, there's nobody else really that that does the same things he does. So if you remove John Klingberg from this lineup, this team loses a characteristic that, you know, you can't necessarily get back by just going, okay, well, next man up. Even even Harley is a little, you know, just there's nobody there like that. And I think this team would suffer disproportionately from not having that um, that characteristic. So yeah, it's it's very. It's sobering to think that they would fritter that away just because he is not necessarily the traditional, you know, doesn't fit the the platonic ideal of an NHL defenseman. Well, and let's talk windows as well, because we're talking about this being the last year of the of the Ben group era. And what have the stars been doing over the last 
five or six years in drafting, you take a look at the prospects that we have coming out there and they aren't these big, you know, let, let's draft big and hope that they have speed and we're going to, uh, we're going to have to beat St. Louis in order to make it to the Stanley Cup. Uh, we've been drafting smaller, skilled, uh, and there's no reason why you have a team after this year that doesn't change the, the the way they play fairly significantly. I mean, you have a coach who's at, on the last year of his contract. You have a leadership group that is uh, going to change drastically. And you have a talent pipeline that doesn't match the current way they play the game. So where do you think we're going? And and John Klingford, Klingberg fits into that future very well. Well, and I would also look at the way that Rick Bonus's uh, deal only runs through this year and kind of everybody's general consensus that this is the last season of this particular core trying to get all the way to the Stanley Cup that says, you know, I think that maybe there's a transition plan that's already been thought out. And that's why the players that they have drafted look different. I mean, even at development camp, and this is actually probably a good segue into Traverse City and the you know the start of the actual season here i'm gonna do wes's job for him um (laughs) so even at development camp i sat back and i was looking at the players and i kind of remarked upon to myself and i and i turned to matt defranks and i said hey is this a smaller prospect group (laughs) (laughs) i mean i could say i turned to another member of the media but like there's only five of us so i mean to be fair, um, I'm now apparently one of the fellows. So like, wow, maybe, you you um, know all five members of the media. Look at look at you. <laughs> <all of> <laughs> um, but uh, but I asked him and I said, you know, does this group look smaller than than other years past? Like, I just remember, you know, development camps of like five years ago where you would see these big six foot two, six foot three, like <laughs> power all, forward, yeah. And also, I'm a short person, so maybe it's easier for me to, like, tell differences. <laughs> no, this <laughs> this like, team definitely went through a phase where if you were 6'6 six, six and had a pulse, they'd draft you. <laughs> or, you know, that year that they went on a run on defenseman. And then that, like, so, I mean, yeah, so, but there's a lot of, um, a lot more of it. I'm not going to say it's an overabundance because it's definitely not, but there's a lot more of, um, an emphasis uh, in recent drafts of skilled guys and guys that think the game well, regardless of size. And that's why you have a Logan Stankoven. Ah, you said it wrong. I knew Stankoven it was heating it up. <laughs> Got to get it cooking. Stankoven. Oh, my gosh. I hope he never listens to this. Her I hope he always so listens sorry. to this. Um, this, is a, this is a Logan Stankoven friendly podcast. <laughs> He's going to be on Heinz's line. <laughs> I tweeted I tweeted about Logan Stinko in there in a development camp and somebody said, I'm sorry, what is his name? <laughs> I was like, you read that right. Um but he's like you know, he's listed at five eight, five nine. Like he's a reasonably sized human being. I don't need a step stool to talk to him. It's kind of nice and, and different. Um 
And so, like, the Thomas Harleys of the world definitely started to stand out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, he had the, I think Harley had the great quote talking about Maverick Bork, and he was skating and skating backwards, and Maverick Bork ran into him, and Harley said, I, paraphrasing a little bit, I didn't even notice he was there. I just looked down, and smiled, and kept skating. Yeah, he was talking about the strength that he's put on himself, and, you know, obviously with a few years of development, um, as well as, you know, a full season in the AHL, um, under his belt, you would expect him to maybe be a little bit stronger on his skates and not the tiny little stick he was when he was, you know, 17 in drafts. 17, well, I think it was, drafts. it's fair to say that Maverick was writing checks. His ego was writing checks. His body couldn't cash. I mean, obviously. <laughs> that time of year. That's what, that's what guys do during development camp. But yeah, so, um, yeah, so we got to actually see uh, the Stars' prospects on the ice uh, before they head to Traverse City. The tournament kicks off on Thursday evening. You can watch all of the games streamed on the Red Wings website. Um, so that's kind of cool. I mean, you won't get any commentary, so it's literally just rink sounds. And then the actually entertaining part to me is that they muffle like in between the periods because literally sitting in the stands is nothing but team executives and scouts and and they're all catching up and i guarantee you like 90 percent of the conversations are going to be like hey how's the fam how you doing how's life been since covid19 hit you know how did you guys make it through they're not actually talking about players necessarily but every once in a while they will and they don't want that to get like out so they i think it's hilarious that they they're gonna try it you're saying they're going to try and trade John Klingberg to the Detroit, Detroit Red Wings during the tournament? I am not saying anything of the kind. Do not put those words in You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> so then bringing in, bringing in the rest of the panel. So talking about Tra- Traverse City, it's always it, it, this feels like a more interesting version of the tournament than in recent years because of you know the Harley factor and, and a couple of the other guys. So, you know, David and Mark who are you kind of watching um, this year? Does anyone have your, your attention? Uh, so like from the perspective of like someone that I think is going to like make it soon or just in general, just in general, where, where, where's your heart? Uh, honestly, like Grushnikov, I uh, like Grushnikov is a guy that I really like. They drafted the second round this year. And um, I, you know, when we talk about like kind of market inefficiencies and, and like players that are probably better than how coaches typically evaluate players, um, the shutdown type is definitely one of those. And Grushnikov is a guy that kind of, yeah, he sort of profiles like a shutdown defender, but also has is a smooth skater, a big guy. Uh, you know, it's exactly the kind of guy that I think if he reaches his ceiling is who Dallas sees S. Lindell as now. And yes, I have to get in my Lindell uh, <laughs> as much as possible. But like but I do think he's the kind of player that um, – that, like the shutdown type, I think is kind of evolving in the same way that puck movers are evolving. So like, he's the guy that really has my eye because I think, you know, there's going to be a point in time where SNL is going to run his course. And I think Grushnikov is kind of the guy that can probably take in that, be the guy to be that kind of player that Dallas is looking for, like okay. a potential, potential echo type. So that's like, even though like I love offense and that's what fascinates me the most, I, I do think Grushnikov is, is a really interesting player and a player that I'm going to be excited about. How about you? He also, oh, well, yeah, please. Uh, sorry, to, to piggyback onto that, um, Grushnikov actually was a guy that Neil Graham, who is running and coaching the Traverse City tournament this year, uh, 
actually specifically called out as one of the guys that impressed him early on in development camp. So that, and I think because he was specifically called out, I think a lot more eyes are probably going to be on him at the start of the tournament than probably before. So. And then how about you, Mark? Um, I have three. Um, and, and each one's kind of a more of a interest case than it is necessarily somebody who I'm just absolutely dying to see on the ice. Um, within the forward group, I'm interested to see how Riley Tufty comes out. Um, he's been through this tournament a couple times, and this is kind of his put up or shut up moment. Um, and it's time for him to show that he's ready to either move up to another level or decide that he's an AHL forward. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to him showing some confidence and coming out and showing us some things that we haven't seen before. Um, then the other two are defenders. Um, I'm interested in seeing um, what, what Dawson Bartow does. Uh, he was kind of a come out guy uh, two years ago in uh, at Traverse City when, when he was younger and kind of made a name for himself. And this year, as many defenders as the Stars have, he's he's really kind of fighting for a position with Texas and uh, and hoping to stay out of going down to Idaho. And that's uh, he's a, he's a good player. He's a he's a, he's a, yeah he's a right-handed defender. He and kind of a hybrid player. And I, I think he's got a good chance of moving on up. And and he's the kind of guy we need to succeed in this organization. And then finally, I'm going to be looking at Ryan Shea, who was a bit of a disappointment last year with Texas, but then uh, ended up playing for the for the national team group, uh, which which was kind of a kind of a out of left field pick, and got in got into uh, I think just a handful of games, but uh, certainly a situation where he got to play with some real high level talent, and uh, looking for him to kind of uh, have a rebound this year this year and they certainly need him to with with all the other randomness going on in the crease and, and I, I like those i think for me i have two on my list and i'm glad we, we all have some different uh different po- focal points i'm, I'm kind of looking at delandria and damiani and just from the perspective of delandria is already at the nhl level and it's more with him about figuring out where we've said the word ceiling a lot for me it's it's figuring out is he going to be a, a bottom you know kind of a dedicated bottom six guy which is still good or or does he have you know can he start forcing himself into the you know jason dickinson successor kind of flex middle six guy that can play up sometimes um you know so really looking to see what kind of impact he can make as a more experienced player in a prospect tournament right you you should he should be a guy that is notable and noticeable during this tournament given his experience at the nhl level to date and you know looking at what his upside might be and then demiani just because with Texas, he did just about everything. And this is another guy that, that in my mind, at least still trying to figure out, like there's, there's clearly a player there, but for me personally, just trying to figure out where the, the upper end of that, like what, what can he be? And I think those are the two guys that are on the top of my mind as we head into, uh, head into Thursday's games. I would also add for, for myself personally, I'm curious to see how Adam Shield looks. 
Um, I'm very curious about what's going to happen with the goaltending situation, especially if Ottinger ends up starting the season down in Texas because of the whole injury situation. Ben Bishop ben is apparently Bishop healthy, according to NHL.com last week. We're not going to rehash <laughs> that argument. We got yelled at for spending too much time on it already, which, I mean, come on. Like, come on it's now. like one of the biggest, it's like the biggest storyline with this team. because It would Bishop only literally ruin the roster. Crazy. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, that whole pesky little cat thing. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I'm curious to see how he's going to perform um and what role he's going to carve out for himself looking at Ottinger potentially coming down knowing that they're going to want Ottinger to get big minutes um and is he going to make it difficult on them to 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 force like more of a tandem style kind of play so that's one position I'll be looking at specifically yeah, and I was just going to mention that uh, you know Delandry and, and Damiani were were there at the tournament back in uh, 2019, and both did very well. And and this was still while well, they were, were were OHL guys, and so as with a lot of we we have some experience that's going up to Traverse City, and I really look for several of these guys to just stand out on the ice and and be the best player uh yeah. that's going to be playing there's a couple yeah we need to start seeing that out of some of these guys yep just just to kind of like put a bow on like the the my constant rants about development which is that i think that like you guys talk about tufty and damiani and these are good examples of like the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to development which is that for tufty Right. Some of the uh, articles that have been written is like you hear people talk about, well, yeah, it's really important for Tuffy to just be really good defensive. And it's just like, wait, what do we draft this guy for again? And then on the other hand, Damiani, um, who they're kind of talking about, well, if he gets playing time, we'll probably try him at wing, which I think is a good idea. This is what Montreal should have done with Kakniemi besides like leaving him in, uh, you know, Europe for his first year. But like, how do you figure that out? I like I my I just feel like a lot of teams kind of treat as random, maybe don't like do necessarily like, the things that they should be doing. And I feel like with Damiani, there's a good chance he can break the roster because they're doing the right thing. And then with Tufty, I mean, maybe we could just use the B word at this point, but I mean, I, I do hope he's, he succeed. I, I want him to, I want him to succeed. I just think that I think in the media, uh, Nandi Kumar even did sort of like a analytics breakdown on drafts. Like once you're like five plus seasons after the draft and you haven't made the NHL, it's probably because you were never going to. But hope springs eternal. And, and uh, you know, <laughs> at this point, especially with the way that it's it's interesting because in the short term and then we'll go ahead and, and do some closing thoughts here in the short term, it feels like this forward group is really kind of locked in. So it's not so much about this year because there really aren't a lot of spaces to fight for. But this is also a team we've talked about windows and eras and coaching staffs. And for, for many, many reasons, while there may not be as much room this year, next year, there's certainly going to be a lot of, of spots and holes and, and things to do. So this is an interesting opportunity for, for a guy like Delandria. Can you, can you turn your toehold in the NHL into a legitimate platform to put you in a position to move up the roster to a guy like Damiani? Can you get that toehold to a guy like Tufty, right? Just for all of these reasons, it's, it's one of those 
the stakes are high, but we may not see the result of that for another season because of the the way that this organization currently sits. Um, and just want to go one more time, just round tables. We've talked about we've talked about Traverse City, we've talked about Harley, we've talked about Clean, we've talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, we'll start with you, Taylor. Is there anything else as we get you know just a couple of of weeks away from legitimate, I guess, quasi legitimate preseason hockey action? Is there anything else on your list that that you would advise Stars fans to kind of start start getting curious about as we approach the season? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm so I really like, wish you just said no. Ready to go? <laughs> like, you know, I think that everybody's just anxious to get into training camp to get more of a, a feel of exactly what's going on in the crease. Um, and I think you know, for us, it's I think all the topics have been hashed and rehashed and kicked to the curb and driven over and hit by a bus. I mean, I think that we're just ready to get some answers and those aren't going to come until uh, the team gets into training camp and we start seeing some preseason action. So just, it feels like just we'll go around. I, I feel a little for the Simpsons fans out there. I feel like silent Bob walking away from the boat in the field of rakes right now. And just like this, brutal slog of a step forward and a smack in the head then another step forward and a smack like that's the period of the off season that we're in and i just i want to be done with the with the stupid rakes we'll we'll go to you next mark what's what's your kind of pay attention to kind of closing thought well i think we've rehashed as much hockey as uh, as can be done in this what seemed like an extended off season um, my biggest concern is, right now is outside of Traverse City, I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to be able to watch NHL games. And so uh, I hope that all gets resolved or else I'm going to have to just make things up. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And then, David, how about you? Uh, for me, like, so let me put my Hollywood smart glasses on and kind of talk analytics one last time. Do, do is... you have to take off the Jim Nill mustache to put the Hollywood smart glasses on? Oh, man, that's a great question. Doesn't he wear glasses? Uh, anyways, so I was I was looking at like uh, sort of Jay Fresh Hockey's kind of like wins above replacement roster builder. And the thing that worries me the most about Dallas is something that, well, we've complained about the most and has always been a topic. And so, yes, rehashing it. But Man, the bottom six grades out so terribly with like Raffle, yeah. Glendenig, even Faxa, which I realize, you know, probably expect to bounce back. But it's just like we're hoping his we're hoping a lot of his problems are risk related. And that makes me real nervous. But, yeah, I'm just like to me, it's like if they try to do this Bennett Center thing, I just wonder if it's not going to work because like they have such a terrible bottom six that, you know, if we're complaining about lack of score and it's going to be for the same reasons we've had over the last three years, which is, well, you have some like guys at the top and then dudes at the bottom that, well, hey, they play good defense, so they must have value. And I'm really worried. about. I, I am genuinely worried about it. I think Dallas is going to be a good team, but the bottom six is just wretched. I will take that one step further with my closing thought and that it's not to me, it's not just the bottom six and it's not just about being wretched is this is a Dallas stars team. In my opinion, that with a little bit of creativity and a little bit of systemic flexibility could be amazing. There are, there are options on the, I talked about skills earlier. There are options on this roster. There are skill sets on this roster. There, there is a lot of stuff there, but at the same time, 
as you're pointing out, this doesn't feel like a team where you can just drop everybody into roles and say, okay, well, this is going to be our fourth line. This is going to be our third line, second line, first line, right? This is, this is a team about moving parts and flexible situations. And I think that there's a world in which the coaching staff kind of rises to that challenge and, you know, health permitting, we have a team that can create you know, matchup headaches night in and night out, not necessarily because the tippy top end of their talent pool is is at the tippy top end, although there are very, very good players on this roster, but more because this is a team that can throw every conceivable look at you at any given time from any given spot in the roster. And the optimist in me says, you know, they were hobbled last season by injuries and the season before that they were still waiting for, you know, hints and some of the guys to emerge right and that this season is going to be our first look at this particular group's ability to kind of play functionally together with practice time and all the bells and whistles so the optimist in me is like hopefully the coaching staff is kind of licking their chops at getting ready to you know take advantage of all of this and then the the pessimist in me thinks about all the uh, orthodoxy conversations we've had, not just tonight, but in previous podcasts, and worries that if you try and coach this team like a you know more traditional NHL organization, where you know a guy like Gurianov is is not getting a chance to score because he doesn't necessarily you know back check to the same degree as as you know Blake Como's perceived to like, and that's I'm being super overly simplistic with my example, but, but just to make the point, it, it worries me that, that an inflexible coaching staff and a kind of role driven coaching staff is really going to struggle to get any kind of cohesion or, or, or success out of what is a fairly fluid and flexible hockey team. And so that's, it's, it's months before that becomes apparent, but that's, that's sort of what's on my mind at this point in the off season is how is all of this going to come together on the ice, but all we can do is wait and wait we shall uh and uh thank you all for your time this evening talking a little bit of stars hockey we'll check back in next week maybe we'll have some thoughts about traverse city maybe we'll be making it up i guess you just never know listeners maybe we've never seen a hockey game ever i think hearing hearing me talk at least that's pretty pretty evident but uh thanks again for listening thanks to kt for stitching it all together Uh, don't hesitate to ask questions leave comments we are paying attention and uh Just can't wait for some regular season stars hockey. 